The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera's Ghostlight Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look at the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Carol Anderson. And I'm Jeff Counts. We're doing something a little different today. We don't have a guest in studio. In fact, all of you are going to be our guests today because we're going to be talking about myths that surround the classical music performance experience. And we're going to try to debunk a few of those and talk about one way Utah Symphony is trying to tackle this with a new concert experience. So, Carol, you've compiled a list of things that people are saying online about barriers to the classical music experience. Let's go through a few of those and let's just talk about how we think people either might be misinformed or ways that the companies that we're talking about can do better. Well, I think one of the first things that people worry about is what are they going to wear to the symphony or to the opera? Clothing is a big one. You're right. Right, because they think it has to be something fancy. They have this idea that it's not casual that you have to be in a gown for instance i think with the symphony concert that probably has to do with what the orchestra is wearing the orchestras that still wear tails that certainly projects a very formal feeling to the audience right absolutely yeah. there are days that i um want to just show up in jeans sure and, and just be do. comfortable and absolutely yeah some places you may wish to just dress up because you want to make it a special night out and mm-hmm. that's your own choice. Yeah. I love seeing the kids on opportunities night here at Utah Opera coming in gowns and you know they've done it because this is a big deal for them. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned opera carol because I know that you probably feel the same way about opera come as you are but on opening night that can be a little different, right? Well, yes, you know Those of us who are working, we certainly deck ourselves out as we can with gowns or tuxes, and that's just kind of a tradition. But it's not not a deal breaker. I feel like people just need to wear what they're comfortable in. If they want to make it a fancy night out, they have that choice. So that's the one first thing we can debunk about the experience is that there is no dress code. There are no rules. You really can wear whatever you want. You'll be more comfortable if you have on long pants, per se, if you're a guy. Yeah, maybe don't. Maybe Come not in your shorts. gym clothes. Right. Maybe not shorts, but jeans are totally okay. Absolutely. No one's going to give you a hard time. I've worn more than comfortable. Absolutely. So that's the first one. Debunked. Come Done. as you are. What's Come next? Come as you are. A lot of people say that the symphony or the opera is expensive, mm-hmm. that it's a very expensive night out. Yeah. What's your thought about that? I mean, I suppose in as it relates to other experiences of similar length, like a movie, it probably does seem pricey by comparison. But let's relate it to other kinds of actual live performance. Yeah, have you gone to a... Compared to Broadway? Oh, my it's gosh. It's much cheaper. No, no. It's yes. much cheaper. What about a concert much at the local arena? Too. <laughs> much cheaper than that, too. I would. I tend to say that on the sort of scale of live performance experiences, orchestras and operas probably aren't the cheapest, but they're definitely not the most expensive. I, th- I think that barrier is probably a little bit overblown. And a lot of companies, and you need to just check with your own local organization, a lot of them will do first-time buyer right. experience deals right. where you can save a certain percentage by buying your first tickets to that. Yep. So there's always opportunities to get performance experiences at a reduced rate, but always it's a reasonable rate compared to going to a professional sports game, something to that effect. There's no symphony ticket that's going to cost as much as getting into Hamilton, that's no, for sure. No, that is truth. But the experience is different, but just as enjoyable. So yeah, that's another myth debunked. What else? How else can we help? Some people think the performances are a bit on the long side. Yeah, I hear this one too. Now, I went to a film last night, uh-huh. and it was two and a half hours long. Right. What's the usual writing time of a symphony concert? 
almost always between two hours and two hours and 20 minutes. Right. They so rarely it's not run any longer long than a movie. As, yeah, they rarely run as long as a standard Christopher Nolan film. Right. Rarely. <laughs> rarely. <laughs> and the opera might run a little bit longer, but right. they're always going to be, for the most part, your average opera offering will be about two and a half to three hours long. Right. And usually it's in more manageable chunks with at least one, if not two, intermissions. So Absolutely. You're not, it's not a two and a half hour sit like a movie is. The I know. One you thing, don't miss anything if you go to the restroom. Exactly. You get opportunities to take a break in symphony concerts and opera performances. That's very much unlike the movies that you go to. So yeah, it is a, it is a little bit on the long side compared to a Netflix television show. Sure. But compared to movies the same and you get a break. So Carol, I'm wondering if anyone has mentioned the concert experience itself, if there's anything about being in the room that is a little off-putting. One of the concerns I hear people state a lot is that they don't know when to clap. Right. That they're confused about maybe they're not sure that it's the piece has ended and they're afraid to clap in the wrong place. And of course, there are those people that are longtime concert goers who, you know, unfortunately will give that dirty look. Let's talk about the history a little bit here because I think it's important. You know, a century ago, people clapped whenever they wanted to. Absolutely. There was in absolute, the middle of an aria. In the middle of an aria, they would demand it be immediately reperformed. There was no sort of tradition about clapping. Today, traditionally, just so. If, if our listeners don't have a lot of experience in concert halls, understand, traditionally you clap at the end of a piece. If a piece has multiple movements, regardless of how exciting an inner movement might be, you wait and applaud till the end. That's the tradition today. But that's a fairly modern convention. In the old days, when Beethoven's symphonies were premiered, people would clap after the scherzo, same as with arias. This is a fairly new thing. So anyone who gives you a dirty look for breaking this particular, and I'm doing air quotes, rule, they're wrong and they're being actually a modern elitist because their opinion on this doesn't match the history of the art forms. So if I'm new to the concert going experience and I clap because I'm excited, will that make anyone mad? Do the performers care? The performers do not. You might occasionally find a conductor who will find their concentration broken and look a little miffed on the podium, but the people on stage never mind the excitement. Now clapping in the middle of a piece that's probably a rule you don't want to break. That's, that's, a, that's, I think, out of respect for the people on stage, a good thing to adhere to. But clapping at the end of a first movement of a concerto, if it's exciting, go right ahead. There's no rule, unwritten or otherwise. If you want a guideline for when to clap, just look at the conductor. Yeah. If he or she is still holding their baton in the air and they're looking engaged and communicating with the orchestra, that's probably not the time to clap. When they drop their baton, when they drop their hands to their side, that's a good indication that it's a great time to show your appreciation there. Absolutely. But again, no performer is ever going to be mad that you appreciated what they did. No, and you've you've hit on something that I think is a really important sort of way to bust all of these myths, and it's that the experience of live music is active. It's participatory. You are being conducted just as much as everybody on stage. So this idea of watching the maestro, I think, is really important. They will signal to you when things have come to an point to either show your appreciation or take a breath. So I think that's a really interesting point. And that is great to remember that it's interactive. We could listen to recordings all we wanted to. We could find something on any of these streaming services, but you never get the same experience, the tactile experience of being in the room with those instruments and feeling the vibration of those 
uh, performers' sounds in your body. It absolutely. is very, very tactile, I it's, guess is the best word. It's absolutely physical, absolutely. Um, so, Kara, what about getting to these venues? Are people saying anything about that? Well, there's an idea that they're located in inconvenient areas of town. Many people living in the suburbs find it daunting to have to go downtown, and very often these concert halls are located downtown. It's just the central area. It's where it makes the most sense to build a venue to bring a lot of people in. Uh, And our city is no exception to that rule. So what kind of things can we tell our listeners who are afraid of going downtown or concerned about going downtown? We're lucky in Salt Lake City in that we had a tram system put in for the Olympics back in 2002. Mm -hmm. And that system is still working really well. And there are stops very near both of our performance venues. So I would often advise people when they ask me this question to take advantage of that. Take the bus, carpool, take Uber, take Lyft. You don't have to worry about parking if you're not bringing your car. Absolutely. And I I take tracks all the time. That's our light rail. It's really no different than going to a sporting event. Those are often very frustrating parking experiences as well. Yes. Who hasn't been in a baseball stadium parking lot waiting for 40 minutes after a game to get out? I don't think you'll run into that nearly as much in a symphony venue. Carol, let's talk for a second about Unwound, which is a Utah Symphony initiative um, designed to exactly in the ways that we're talking about today, break down some of these barriers to the concert experience. I'm talking specifically about the way the orchestra dresses, the fact that the concert has a host, the fact that there's opportunities for the host to interact with the conductor and the soloist on stage in real time. What are some other elements of that performance that make it a new way in for audiences? Well, I'm a regular symphony attender. I decided when we did the first Unwound concert that I would try to take advantage of all the opportunities. We had food trucks on the plaza for the Mm -hmm. symphony, and so I went and got dinner at the food truck, and that was really great. And then I took advantage of the different lobby activities. I think there was trivia. There was um, different opportunities for refreshments in the lobby that we don't normally have. And I did dress down, too. I dressed in my jeans, and I was super comfortable, and that matched exactly what the orchestra had on. I like the fact, too, that the concert settles on a theme fairly early on based on what the programming is and tries to connect what's happening in the lobby to what's happening on stage. Part of that is done just sort of arbitrarily based on what the piece it might be called or when it was written. But oftentimes, for example, with as we record, the upcoming performance is all about George Gershwin. And George Gershwin was writing and creating during a very interesting time in the U.S. So the idea of turning the lobby into a sort of speakeasy is really a fun way of seeing the 1920s, you know, uh, as a as a really important time in American history. So I should say, full disclosure, I mentioned a couple of times that this concert has a host. Yes, who is that host? That is me. <laughs> I am the host of Unwound. I, I do need to be honest about that. But was there any part of the the experience once you got in the hall, because the one thing I didn't mention is that there's a visual element to these performances. There, There's projections of the hands of the pianist, people in the orchestra that are playing prominent parts. Mm-hmm. There's a way of sort of drawing the eye of the audience member, kind of like they're watching a Met Live in HD performance to the thing that matters most. But if I recall, we did a contemporary piece. Yeah. And by Andrew Norman, he's been on the show a couple times. And we yeah. had Andrew talk about the piece mm-hmm. and help have the percussionists help demonstrate what to listen for. Right. I think that's incredibly important when it's not one of the old chestnuts right. that everyone knows the melody of. Right. The other piece on that program was the Rachmaninoff Second Piano Concerto, mm-hmm. which is one of the favorite concertos of many symphony listeners. Right. And so I think 
having that interactive component about the unfamiliar piece helped people understand what they were getting into, what was going to be happening, what was interesting about the piece. Do, do you think it's important that the concert itself not be watered down? We played the entire concerto. I think one of the things we can't do as people who are sharing our art form with our communities, we can't show them something that we market as a symphony concert, then have a completely different experience when they come to a traditional symphony concert. That's it can't be a point. bait and switch. Right. It, it has to be a preview of what they're going to get. The The only difference with Unwound is I think it was one piece shorter than right. the the concert on the other night that week, right. which was the same. It was the same Rachmaninoff and the same Andrew Norman piece. And That's then, how we made room for all my talking. Right, because, um, <laughs> you know, Jeff does go on. He does. One of the most important things about Unwound or any of these kinds of initiatives, I think it's twofold. It gives people, as I said, a new way in with the visuals, with the host, with um, some of the other extras that get added on. The lobby, certainly we've talked about quite a bit. But it also confirms that a lot of the myths we talked about at the beginning of the show are already debunked by this experience. All of the rules that you think are in existence really aren't. It's already possible for this experience to be a lot more casual than you think. We really just want you to come and see what we have to offer. There's nothing like the experience of live music, whether it be the visceral uh, thrill of a soprano singing her high notes or a pianist just rocking out on rock two. Yeah. Well, I think this has been an amazing conversation, Carol. And one of the things I love about Unwound and other efforts to make the concert going experience more accessible and casual is that it does two things. It provides as I mentioned, new ways in, either through lobby experience or visuals or other sort of add-ons. But it also confirms that a lot of these popular myths have already been debunked long ago. You can clap what you want. You can wear what you want. We just want you to come as you are. It's like the tagline for Unwound. No ties, no rules, just music. So if there's myths that we haven't debunked for you, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at ghostlight at usuo.org. Thank you for joining us on the Ghost Light Podcast. Be sure and subscribe and like us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and follow Utah Symphony on Spotify. In two weeks, we welcome back to the studio Christopher Macbeth, Utah Opera Artistic Director. That is an interview that Carol did by herself, and I'm really anxious to hear where that conversation goes. Until then, I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. Be sure to visit utahsymphony.org and utahopera.org for more information on upcoming performances. If you're not already a seasoned subscriber, click on the tickets button to learn more about the benefits of being a part of our family of music lovers. The Utah Symphony and Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>